This episode is sponsored by Oribi. Hey guys, I've got a quick question for you. How many of you are tired of using Google Analytics? I bet quite a few of you are raising your hands right now. Understanding where and why you lose site visitors before they convert is hard. With Google Analytics, you not only have to get your developers involved with coding events, but you also have to struggle through endless piles of data just to figure out what's causing your leads to drop out. Seriously, it's kind of a nightmare. Well, you'll be excited to hear that there's now a better way to analyze your website and get actionable insights. Meet Oribi. Oribi is a unique marketing analytics tool that captures all the events visitors perform on your website without using any code. Oribi enables you to analyze visitor behavior patterns, build smart funnels, and get tons of insights so you always know what your next step is. Finally, you'll be able to understand your visitors and know what to change in order to convert more. No more blind spots. To start your free trial, visit oribi.io slash district or use the coupon code district and get a free 14-day trial today. Hello, hello, everyone. This is your host, Akhil Jabbar, and welcome back to another episode of SaaS District. In today's episode, we'll be talking about SaaS growth strategies, trends, and building a profitable real estate portfolio. Today, we have our guest, Perry Zhang, joining us. Perry is the founder and CEO of Cashflow Portal, a real estate syndication software and a real investor portal founded back in 2020. Before starting working on Cashflow Portal full-time, Perry was an engineering manager, manager at Lyft, for five years and worked as a software engineer at Twitter and Amazon before that. He started real estate indication over three years ago and now has over 2,000 units, raised over $20 million for real estate project, and is a lead sponsor on two deals totaling 850 apartments. So welcome, Perry. Super excited to have you on the show, show today. Thank you so much. Very happy to be here, Kim. Uh, so Perry, want to get into your, your time management hack. Uh, three jobs, Building your startup while managing 1,500 units in two real um, with every single excuse possible that I hear from founders not having enough time. What is your secret sauce to managing it all? People always ask me about time management. Um, I'll tell you the the downside of 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 my weaknesses per se. Um, I actually get about nine to ten hours of sleep a night. Uh, people always thought I have seven hours of sleep. And so I did the math over the course of a week. I basically lost, compared to someone who sleeps seven hours, I sleep 10 hours, I lost 21 hours in the course of a week compared to that person. <laughs> so I don't know how I manage my time, but I do know I have action items to be done every day. So as long as I do those action items, um, I feel good. Um, and it's not like, I have a personal priority queue of all the things I need to do and uh, rank them. Uh, I don't believe in going through the entire action items again and again to sort them. I just go down the list and start finishing them. Maybe uh, the other thing is I'm a very intuitive person. So I have a almost a, a pain, an emotional pain when I don't finish something. So I will be rolling out of bed or doing something to just get it finished. And if I have an email to send, I either write it down or I send the email right away. So I don't really think of time management as how do I manage my time. I think of what things do I need to finish and I'm obsessed in finishing them. That's how I think about it. Um, yeah. Um, so um, I have a checklist. 
uh, of things to do. Um, I am constantly uh, responding to emails um, and I have, I'm very good at starting and building momentum for something that does not exist. So if I know it requires a long pole, such as creating a product spec or talking to a designer, I know how to start that conversation early to give them enough materials so that they can get started. And so uh, that might be one thing is I, I'm good at starting from nothing to something and then mm-hmm. let the team carry it forward. So a couple of add-on questions on that. Nine hours a day. How do you manage to you know, be consistent on that? And then second, do you have any favorite tools you like to use you know, to keep track of your tasks, to stay on top of everything? Because obviously a lot going on here. How do you prioritize and you know, stay on top of it? I understand the intuitive thing. I'm very similar. Um, you know, you, you've got that pain inside. You have to get it done. But how do you yeah. kind of manage all that? Do you have a framework you like to share to, to keep on top of everything? Yeah, in terms of tactical uh, things you can do, um, I use OneNote. And when I was still working at Live, I have two notebooks on OneNote. One is for Live and one is for my personal. So it's good to compartmentalize, compartmentalize the tasks. Things right. that are for Live, I do it during my Live hours. Things for my real estate and startup, I do it after work. Uh, second is every day I actually create a uh, checklist of things I need to do. I do not feel bad if I don't finish all of them. The next day, I just start a new list. I don't move things over. I'm very, very spontaneous in that sense. Um, and then I put almost everything on my calendar. So my days are just filled with meetings. Um, and, uh, and finally, um, the, the OneNote is on my iPhone, on my, uh, on my Mac. So it, it syncs pretty easily. So, yeah. Love it. Yeah, I love OneNote is great. Um, you know, combination of that or even Notion, I think there's a lot of good ones. But yeah, I think it's a, it's a great tool to get started. Um, so you also have... You know, all the latest and latest tech to support you. You mentioned, you know, I've got the latest iPhone 13 Pro Max. You've got the AirPod Pro. You've got the M1 chip. You're, yeah. you're efficient. You know, you don't let a second pass without being efficient. Um, I think Bill Gates once said that the lazy people make the best employees um, because they'll find an easy way to get something done. So speaking, you know, from your side, it seems you're very efficient. But, you know, also when it comes to delegation, you want to, you know, get your team to be productive, um, which is obviously a way to turn that weakness into to a productivity. Uh, as a CEO, do you believe in maybe... Do you have a way of helping to develop that that weakness or, or that strength within your people and getting productivity out, out of them as well? Yeah, good question. So the question is, how do I cultivate my team members? Uh, whether maybe I cultivate their strengths or weaknesses, what do I see in them? Um, I primarily focus on people's strengths. Everyone has weaknesses and you can never hire the perfect person, especially for an early startup. Um, I see their superpower. Um, I'll give you a quick example of how we hire uh, our account manager, for example. Um, it's a friend of friend um, grabbing dinner. They were asking for uh, they were asking for certain things, but very persistent and polite about it. Uh, they were also very persistent in college in uh, getting what they want, um, and they have a dedicated email address. Uh, that is used to sign up for random websites to get coupons and stuff. And, you know, it was just a friendly dinner uh, catching up. And a few days later, I hired them as an account executive. Why? Because I want people who are persistent yet polite. I want people who are very tech savvy. And I want people who just get things done. And so, you know, there's no qualification. 
about what Cal executive is supposed to do. But I have a knack of seeing these are the qualities I want. Uh, I want the account, account executive to be aggressive, yet, you know, polite. Um, and um, yeah, so I hire people. Uh, now, the engineers definitely have an engineering bar. We go to the rigorous training and whatnot. And we're proud to say we have a very, very high engineering bar. So um, I, and I tend to hire folks that are more talented than having the best resume. Um, uh, because I believe that if someone has made it, quote unquote, that I'm paying for their historical performance, I'm not paying for what they can produce in the future. So I mm. want people who still try to prove themselves. When it comes to the day-to-day -day management, uh, I got that philosophy from Live a lot, which is focus on what they are really good at already. Let that compensate for their weakness. And then once they kind of settle in, then develop their weakness. Um, sometimes weakness is, uh, it's important to strengthen your weakness, but I think that's a really good to develop in a big corporation. In a startup, you kind of learning as you go. So you want to use your strength to compensate for your weakness. I, I, for example, I am not good with public speaking. I am not good with communicating in a spontaneous manner, uh, but I'm very good with writing things down and organizing my thoughts in written. So when I was a manager at Live and even at the startup, I just type everything out just so that I can organize my thoughts. So I, I use my strength to overcome my weakness and I always see the best in employees and try to cultivate those. So your weakness doesn't show uh, show up today, so you're doing a good job. I don't see any any of that, so so, so good job. Thank you. Uh, um, let's talk about a bit of your, your SaaS, your cash flow porter. You're helping investors. How, how are you helping them up? I mean, who are these people using it? How are you streamlining that that equity raise right, for for syndicators in real estate? We do this similarly at Horizon Capital. You know, we're, we're raising capital from LPs. Uh, and doing acquisitions or investments in SaaS companies, specifically B2B SaaS. Um, how, how, does, how does this work on, on the real estate side? Yeah, that's very cool. So going back to the laziness, the thing of that, uh, on my first deal, we raised $4.3 million from 70 investors. So that means 70 DocuSigns we sent out. They signed it, they sent it back. We opened the document, find their investment amount, put that in a spreadsheet. We countersigned it, we sent it back. We send them an email with the wire instructions. Then we check the bank account every day to make sure that their wire has been received and send them an email acknowledging the receipt of the wire. Right. You do that for 70 investors. At the end of it, I felt that I was not really achieving financial freedom. I was just doing administrative work. Mm -hmm. So the software is to streamline that whole process, which is one of the most stressful times when you're trying to raise money. Right. Um, and after post-acquisition, there's distribution, there's update, there's K1. And there is also this professional and modern view for the investors to see how their investment is doing. Mm. Casual Portal is specifically a equity raising and syndication software for real estate investors to streamline their equity raising, automate their back office, and streamline their operations. But technically, it could also be used for even startups. So we just raise money for our own startup and we use Cashflow Portal to raise money for Cashflow Portal. So that was really cool. I imagine you can also do it, you, you know, private equity firms can also use it as well, right? So you know, somebody like us. 
Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. yeah, no, I understand that pain. I mean, it's, 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 a, it's a grueling process. You're like a lot of paperwork back and forth, getting them to follow up and getting the wire payment. And, you know, like you said, after the acquisition, so much investor relations. So that's cool. If you can mm-hmm. do it on one place, I, I definitely see the value. Um, and, and, you know, if, if somebody's looking to use a tool like this, at what point should they they be considering it? So whether you're in real estate, is it, you know, your first you know, one or two properties that you're working with uh, and starting to use something like this, a couple of units, um, or as a startup is like at any, any point you raise any, any amount of, of capital or, or where do you think is a good time to use it? I think the, for real estate, um, for our customers is when they get the letter of intent accepted, LOI accepted. Hmm. For the startup, I think it's when they are looking to raise their C round or second safe, right? Hmm. And you'll get the documents from your attorney and, um, uh, we will set up a call, like a five, 10 minute call. Uh, we provide white glove service. So you can upload a document. You can do self-serve as well. And if you need help, we can help, um, uh, basically put in all the fields that you need on your doc, uh, in, in your documents. So that will be the right time is when you just got that offer accepted because mm-hmm. that's the, you, you, you almost, that's also one of the most exciting times, right? You're going from zero to one and you like, this is my first time doing it. I have no idea what I'm doing, but we're here to help. Nice. Okay. I, I want to, you know, Perry, I want to jump into kind of your uh, portfolio strategy, right? You built a substantial portfolio in the real estate space, sure. quite a few syndicates. Let's say I'm a, I'm a SaaS founder or just somebody listening in. I want to get into um, the real estate, right? I've exited my company sure. or I have some extra cash. I'm looking to deploy yeah. it into real estate a little bit more more sound investment. Walk me through, where should I begin? Where should I start? Am I, am I going and buying some single family units? Cause I know you mentioned you have about six of them in, in Seattle, you got some commercial units. Do I go multi-unit and how do I build into that? You know, or do I go out and raise from day one and, and, you know, go out and expand and what's, what's your process? How, uh, yeah. What's... It's a great question. Uh, that's a really awesome question. So if you are a SaaS funder, founder who had an exit successfully, congratulations. You are in the top five, 1% echelon of all the high performers. And I will tell you that if you can do be a successful SaaS founder, you're probably going to be a successful real estate sponsor, especially if you have high integrity. Okay. So, uh, so, uh, I commend you and you will be successful in this field. Should you become a sponsor? The way to get started is to, uh, you don't, I don't think you need to buy a single family because you are already a high performer yourself. And I'm pretty sure that most SaaS funders already have one house, their primary residence, right? Because they're pretty financially literate. Now, after that, um, there are two paths you can take. One is to invest passively in someone's deal. Cashflow portal, uh, also actually turned out to be a marketplace that you can find other sponsors that you can network with and kind of pick their brain. Uh, by the way, I'm not uh, trying to broadcast the software. It mm-hmm. just turned out that we have that. Okay. No problem. And then the the second part is uh, listen to other podcasts on how uh, sponsors uh, think and how to get into this multifamily. There are many mentorship groups that you can join and there are many online resources that you can read up. Um, all of my real estate multifamily education is self-taught. Right. So it is, there's no like university you can go to for that. Um, then, uh, if, since you have the money, uh, put in say 25 K 50 K to 75 K into maybe about two or three syndications. 
observe how that sponsors communicate because that's how you will communicate. Well, uh, the good thing is when you communicate, your emails are probably going to be more modern <laughs> because most sponsors are not very tech savvy. So your emails are going to be more modern, uh, more grammatically correct, and just probably better. Okay. Um, for SaaS founders, in my opinion, the probably the most important thing they want to figure out is that product founder fit. Is mm. real estate syndication even the right long-term thing for you, right? Because at the end, it is scalable. It is not as scalable as SaaS. Right. It's more predictable. Um, most investors make, uh, passive investors make between 10 to 15% annualized return per year, uh, which is better than the 8% S&P. So these are the returns. You are not going to 10x your money by any stretch of imagination. It's consistent 10 to 15% return. And so the question then becomes, am I willing to be responsible for hundreds of millions of assets while, you know, making a decent amount of uh, sponsorship cut uh, mm. as, as the one who puts together the deal? Um, it's, it's lucrative but it doesn't have that hockey stick as most SaaS companies have. Um, so, uh, and then because you come in from SaaS, uh, you also add a higher level of competency, in my opinion. Um, for example, right now we have 8,800 units. When we get into the thousand units, uh, our goal is to create a property management company that can give quality control to the portfolio that we do have. And that's, you just hire people to run your business. Uh, it's a lot of the lessons that you get from SaaS, uh, managing, hiring, promoting, and firing and laying off and just visioning carries over to this, uh, real estate syndication, uh, industry slash, uh, it's, it's also, it's entrepreneurial, uh, enter, mm -hmm. uh, uh, endeavor. So it is creating another business. So 10 to 15%. Yeah, that's, that's what I probably see, you know, like, uh, you know, seen similarly in real estate. Uh, and the difference is, you know, with, with, you know, SaaS, you, you can buy a company, let's say, you know, 20, 30% returns right off the bat. Uh, and you can actually go in and improve it, make some differences. And, you know, automatically that value goes up to, you know, you hundred percent over a year, right? Where real estate, I mean, there's only so much you can change, right? The location is the location, the size is the size. I mean, you'd have to rebuild or you can do some renovations and, you know, make increase curb appeal, but there's only so much, you know, uh, value you can do. Right. Um, okay. So multifamily unit, I learned a little bit about it. Um, what, what's, what, what, how does that work when you're going out? Now from your side, how do you raise the, you know, did you do a couple of deals yourself? Then you'll say, Hey, look, you know, investors here, this is my, my track record. Uh, and then how do you like to mix that up? So I, I'm curious, you know, for people who want to set this up, are you using mostly debt, you know, 90%, 100%, 50%. And then how much do you like equity into the mix that you found some nice returns for everybody? Yeah, absolutely. So uh, let me get to how, how I got into it. I have about five single families in the Bay Area and Seattle before I got into multifamily. We did a seven-unit apartment complex in Tacoma, Washington. And that one got really nice returns, like 60-something percent return in 18 months for the investors after all fees. And then we wanted to go bigger. And that's when we got the 172-unit. The initial investors invest with me because I was a good employee. Uh, so I had a good track record at work. 
Uh, I also, they know that I was very passionate about real estate by buying all these single families myself. And we have a decent, re- a good chart record with the seven units. So we have done a little bit of it already. And we were part of a mentorship program. So they know I was getting the education, right? So, and they also know that the multifamily itself, you know, it's, it's not volatile. It's just buying apartment units and renting them out. So that's how my trajectory. Now, to answer the question about debt, how much you put down. Uh, the good news about multifamily is that it's backed by very established banks. These are Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac national banks. Okay. And they are some of the biggest lenders. Um, and they will pull up 70% of the loan to cost. Mm-hmm. Uh, that includes the purchase price plus the renovation which is pretty incredible because if you try to flip a single family, banks wouldn't lend on the rehab portion of it, right? Mm. Um, and those banks will give you a very, very nice interest rate, like a 3.2% nowadays, a 3.4. And banks' interest rate is inversely proportional to the riskiness of the assets, mm. and which means banks are smart. And so banks know that multifamily make money. And so they will lend you on a very, very... A uh, good interest rate. Okay. Banks put out 70% of the cost. The other 30% come from the race. Out of that 30%, 10% of it usually come from the sponsors themselves. Mm. Okay. So a take a typical $20 million deal, maybe 180, 200 units, a hundred thousand dollars per unit, $220 million. Um, the banks will lend on seventy percent of it, so about uh, 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 what is it, uh, fourteen million dollars? Okay, maybe fifteen million dollars because there's the renovation, and then you will raise about five to six million dollars, and then uh, out of the sponsors' pocket, sponsors need to put in about six hundred k to seven hundred k to show that they have skin in the game. Sorry, so is that ten percent of the the hundred percent or ten percent of the thirty percent of the equity? Yeah. 10% of the equity, uh, of equity. 10% so 3%, of the 30%. So 3% in this case. You can and, think and of that, it that way. And how would you, how would you, so last question on this and then we can, we can switch a little gears. I just sure. to wrap it up. Um, so if those people are putting in, you're putting in 3% of the deal. Um, does that mean you owe, now you also have leverage. Who does that, who gets that leverage? Is that going, um, you know, to the investors or split evenly across, you know, sponsor GPLP in this case? Or because they're coming up with all the capital, but you're also managing the deal, getting the the the, the financing. How how do you kind of look at that? Like you know, split the pie afterwards. Absolutely, this is a really good question. So mm. this is almost like introduction to real estate syndication. Um, in real estate syndication, a company, a LLC, owns the property. Okay, right. uh, nobody owns the property. The LLC owns the property. You own shares of the LLC. The LLC usually consists of two classes. Class A is the limited partners, which is the passive investors. Class B is the general partners, which is the sponsors. Okay. It's usually a 80 20 split, Mm -hmm. which means that, uh, and how the distributions work is during cash flow, uh, when we are paying dividends, the sponsors take a 20% cut and then the rest get distributed pro rata. When we sell the property, how it usually works, there are all kinds of different arrangements, but how it usually works is the limited partners get all their money back first. Mm -hmm. If there's any profit, it gets divided 80-20. 20% 20 of the profit goes to the sponsors. 
then rest get distributed pro rata. So in a way, limited partners, class A, only contribute money and don't do any work. Uh, limited uh, class B sponsors get sweat equity, but they get they only make uh, outsized money when there is profit. Got it. So they'll they'll keep their three percent. They'll get their their dividend and and uh, right. share the from that three percent, and then they're also getting before that the eighty twenty split. So you'll get twenty percent off the profit share. Um, so very similar to PE, where the two and twenty model, you get two percent up front, twenty twenty percent, and then in this case, they get paid up front. So yeah, I love it. Makes makes perfect sense. Makes yeah, perfect cool. sense. Yeah, I love it. Love yeah. it. Awesome. Yeah. So we, we talked about you know moving from SaaS to real estate, right? Um, your side, you went from real estate to SaaS, which I see very often <laughs> actually. But <laughs> it's it's actually very common. Like a lot of people in the space are doing acquisitions and you know buying in the space, investing. You know they see invest. You know real estate is nice, but you know we, we're we're impatient. We want fast results, and you know there's there's a lot more scalability, right? Um, so obviously a lot of mistakes to be made. What is the biggest risk or constraint that you saw? from moving to the SaaS startup space from real estate investing uh, or your full-time job even? Yeah, great question. I think the, the um, so I have, I think of myself as a pretty experienced real estate sponsor. I've done it multiple times. Uh, right now, if I want to buy a single family house, um, I could just, it's easier for me to buy a single family family house than to buy a pair of pants at this point, because I know exactly <laughs> how it works. Okay. Uh, this is my sound arrogant, but yeah, it's just, I feel more comfortable buying a house and I know it sure. makes money versus buying say a watch because sure. I know it would depreciate. Um, I think the biggest lesson for me was it takes so long for SaaS to start making money and I have no idea whether it will be successful. Whereas real estate, yes, it doesn't make that much money, but at least at the end, there is a physical asset to back up the investment. So that fear of loss is a lot greater in the SaaS company. Mm -hmm. uh, to give you an example, I started the SaaS. I was so um, conservative that I had a full-time job when I started the SaaS company because I don't know whether it will be successful even though I have all, all kinds of ambitions for it. And it was, you know, almost a year later, uh, spent 200K in development. And we did not have, we had like one customer, uh, basically. That's like a friend. Um, well, we have a bunch of beta users, but one person, uh, one customer is paying us. And that was very, very scary, right? Um, in, in real estate, that building doesn't exist. It's just like, yeah, we have a building, it's renting, it's it's cash flowing from day one. So the upfront investment is very scary with SaaS. And it's also that you can lose business, uh, you can lose market share, and the, that company could go to zero if you don't innovate, if you don't constantly innovate. Uh, for a typical building, you're letting another property management company do most of the day-to-day. And so it's a very try and tr true business that has a very high chance of succeeding. Um, like you cannot really, really lose money in real estate unless you're super bad. Yeah. I obviously mm -hmm. not going to work there. No, there's mm -hmm. also a risk. So that's the biggest lesson, just the risk uh, profile tolerance yeah. and also the psychological pressure. Um, it's one thing to say, I put in X amount and personally, 
I haven't lost on any investment I make. So I'm very risk averse in a way, knock on wood. Um, and startup was the first time I felt like, man, I could lose all of this. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's well. I mean, you and uh, millions of other angel investors, right? That's why they're in that game, right? They understand like only one percent are going to make it through, and you know, most of it is going to just get burnt and <laughs> never go anywhere, right? So, <laughs> yeah, it's, it's 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 a different different animal, and it's not for the faint of hearts. And people think angel investing is is a fun thing and a, you know high status uh, title, but it's it's not as easy as it sounds, right? Yeah, that's that's why you also say that startups when you bought them they're making 20%. And if you do well, it's making 100%. Like that sounds really, really good. But you have to give that kind of returns because there will be one out of 10 or two out of 10 that don't hand out to anything, right? So yeah, that's yeah, right. yeah. So you, exactly. you have to justify those returns. And that's why you're making those returns. Exactly. High risk, high reward, right? I mean, if it was, if it was easy, everybody would do it. Yeah. A quick note from our sponsors today, and we'll be right back. This episode is sponsored by Contentfy.co, a premium podcast editing and repurposing agency for busy content creators just like you. Are you spending too much time editing your podcast and end up with no time to stay on top of also publishing, sharing, reaching new listeners, while also staying ahead of the latest podcasting trends? Don't worry, Contentfy has you covered. You no longer need to worry about spending hours editing and repurposing anymore. Just record your content and they handle the rest. Contentfy is an end-to-end podcast editing and repurposing agency to help you grow your podcast by editing and repurposing quickly, easily, and reliably to share all over your social networks. And if you haven't even noticed, I also use them for the SaaS District podcast. So join other busy content creators just like you and me and start saving time and money while you grow your podcast show. Visit contentfy.co to learn more today. Well, why not uh, commercial? My first question. And uh, I mean, do you do commercial? If not, why not? And then what are some trends you're seeing? I'd love to hear some trends in real estate. I mean, it seems like the market is hot everywhere in the world right now. Canada, US, North America. I don't think anywhere I've heard where it's going the opposite you know, way. Uh, and then where do you kind of see it going uh, moving forward? Do you, see, do you think this is a bubble or do you think this is going to you know, hold, its, hold its ground for a while here? Got it. One of my meta points is I usually don't... Um, I usually don't think too much about the future. I usually think about what has happened and I adapt um, because I could worry a lot about the future. And that usually doesn't, uh, there, there are too many like uh, decision trees to go down. And that's, um, yeah. So, but I, I will still, uh, I, I like the question a lot. So uh, why I didn't do commercial. So residential, what we're doing is commercial residential. Right. Uh, you're asking why don't I do commercial retail? Um, yes. I think it's those leases are longer. We are dealing with selected em- a number of employers, right? Uh, and it's more volatile. Sometimes you're really good. Sometimes you're not good. And obviously, Amazon is definitely taking market share from the fiscal retail stores. Mm. And as a techie, you know, I also who live in Seattle, uh, I'm very, very bullish on Amazon and I know how cu- uh, obsessed with customers they are. And so, um, so that's why I don't do, I don't see how it could possibly be uh, growing. 
in the into the future. Okay. Mm. Uh, and and triple net and uh, uh, those those commercial, it seems that you're relying on select number of people. Where with residential commercial, we have 200 units. Everyone is a place to live. Uh, if you don't live next day, there's another tenant. Yeah. So and we also mm. try to find landlord friendly states. Okay. So that's why all our commercial residential properties are in Texas. Now. Uh, going, landlord, yeah. that's very important. Landlord, landlord friendly states, right? Something that a lot of people think they think wherever they're living, uh, it can be good. But yeah, if you, you're very right, because you're talking about all about risk management here. Um, right. Commercial seems a little slightly higher. Now you found a place. Okay. We know multi-unit works. Now it's finding the right place where we have a good control. And we're not going to lose all our tenants and be stuck, not getting paid. Very smart. Okay. Continue. Yeah. Sorry. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, no, that's great. And then, uh, then what are some of the trends I do see? Um, one fundamental trend I think is 506B and the safe notes make angel investing and real estate syndication a lot easier because there's some form of standardization, right? And that gave rise to a lot of the VC firms as well as angel lists and, you know, crunch base and whatnot. Um, I will really... Uh, and everyone, every real estate sponsor, maybe I live in a bubble. Um, every real estate sponsor nowadays has a website reaching out to their group of passive investors to tell them what is real estate syndication. Uh, in fact, I think we need a better name for real estate syndication. The word, the phrase sounds a little bit sketchy, real estate syndication. <laughs> okay. Maybe like real estate co-investing or something. Mm. And when you, when everyone has a website claiming the same thing, explaining how real estate co-investing works, um, they are just reaching in their little friends and circles, right? Right. There's only so much you can say about yourself without external validation. And so I think the trend is moving towards some kind of consolidation or a platform that gives legitimacy to certain sponsors. Uh, something like the IMDB of real estate sponsors, something like the Airbnb of real estate syndication, where you can rate, uh, re re leave reviews of the performance of sponsors based on their responsiveness, communication style, uh, integrity, and just um, if they are competent. Right. So I think that's coming. Uh, it's the natural evolution of. Right now, all the software is just helping people how to, you know, streamline things. Um, I have seen software that helps them to automate social media campaigns and marketing and take those leads and funnel it into their CRM. That's right. one approach. The other approach is just go and create the marketplace yourself. Mm. Do you guys uh, do anything on the air? So you mentioned Airbnb. Is that is that something in your model as well, where you're doing you know shorter term leads, or are you just focused on long term? So I feel that the, the cash flow is a little better there, right? Yeah. So with real estate syndication, we could take a couple units and do Airbnbs with them. Now we don't do them because these are more working class, uh, working housing, as in people who are uh, middle, a lower middle class in a way, right? Not Section Eight. Uh, just uh, working class. Uh, if we have downtown, you know, apartment complex, and those are tend to be lower returns because they are just more secure <laughs> and less risky, we could take a few units and turn them into Airbnbs. That's no problem. 
Yeah. Mm, nice. Love it. This is very interesting, Perry. Um, you've done. You've done a good job. I mean, you built your your SaaS now. I think you, from my understanding, you've grown 100 organically. You've done no yeah. ads. You've done no cold outreach. <laughs> um, we'd love, love to hear. What, how did you do that? What are some of the best tips you can give maybe to SaaS founders who want to follow your path? Right? Because you said you did beta testing. You had one customer. Spend yeah. all this money and time. How did you get to yeah. where you are today? Yeah. So, um, I really don't believe that in SaaS there's one formula. And I actually want to say that a lot of the advice I have heard, um, I felt guilty for not following them. And <laughs> until I see the results that uh, my own stubborn way actually work. So tactically, tactically, I didn't do any online marketing uh, because I was having it. I had a full-time job. So I only had so much time and I didn't want to bring in customers when the product is not ready. You know, people call it mistake. Number one, don't do that. You should always bring in customers at test. Right. Um, so second, uh, because I only had so much time, uh, I put all my effort into product engineering and because I was a customer myself, I know a lot of people like me. Um, I know there's product market fit. There will be. And I was right. No, but hindsight is 2020, right? And then lastly, uh, I came from an engineering background and combined with the fact I don't have time, I only can do so many things. So then I decided to eliminate a lot of things I don't want to do. Uh, and the fourth reason is this is more of a investor mindset. Uh, I truly believe that Facebook and Google marketing, uh, they are like renting. You pay the money. And as soon as you stop paying, you're not getting anything in return, right? Mm -hmm. There might be some residual effect, but you have to constantly do it. Whereas content marketing, writing blogs, your words stay on the internet forever. It leaves a residual effect. Podcasts, some people, a couple of years from now, could still listen to this episode and understand. So I would rather do that and leave a permanent mark which is almost like buying a house than trying to rent. So to me, um, Facebook and Google marketing is a like renting, whereas writing done something, creating value is, is like buying. So that's why I have not done the Google ads and Facebook ads. So content marketing, you're, you're building your tree, so to speak, you're planting it. You want to continue to produce apples. You don't want to go rent and pick the apples off until you know, it dries out. Maybe a quick thought on that before we get into your personal side. People thinking, you know, buying versus renting real estate side. Any, you know, downsides of not buying at any any point? Any thoughts on that? So, if you are in New York City and you're trying to buy a condo in New York City, I had a spreadsheet that calculate whether you should buy in New York City or use the down payment to invest in a real estate syndication. I did the math. I don't know why I did the math. I have a whole mm -hmm. spreadsheet. It turned out that. In downtown New York City, especially if you're buying a condo, um, you should just um, take the money and put it in some real estate syndication and just keep continue to rent. Almost everywhere else, uh, it's probably a good idea to just buy a house. Mm, good, good answer. Like it, um, Perry. Love to hear your personal background. I mean, you've uh, yeah. moved to the U.S. at 11 years old. Your parents yeah. started a Chinese American restaurant. Yeah. Um, you know, went through, you know, work, built a syndication portfolio up until now building cash flow portal. Can you share a little bit of how that, that journey went? Yeah, yeah, yeah. 
I grew up definitely lower middle class. Um, that might be an understatement. Um, yeah. So um, my parents work 364 days a year, except for Thanksgiving, because that's the day that the Chinese American restaurant doesn't have any business. And uh, I was a good student in high school and middle school. Um, and I got into a good university. Um, and after that, I think I'm very achievement oriented as a result. Mm -hmm. Um, obviously people tend to, uh, use their background as a way to justify what they did. Um, but I, I actually think that people could come from the same background and have different perspectives on things. But the way I probably justify it was, uh, it definitely taught me on how to appreciate, um, uh, it, it helped me appreciate two things. It appreciate pain. I know what it's like to not have, uh, things have the necessities. And second, it helped me appreciate how, uh, normal people think. And so their psychological mindset, uh, which is helpful. Um, so it, as a manager, it, it gives me a lot of empathy. It gives me a lot of just, um, yeah, I understand what they're going through. So that's helpful. Uh, from a Chinese American, you know, uh, from a, uh, Chinese immigrant, um, the other thing I learned is, uh, hard work is easy. Um, there's never a question of whether I could work hard. Um, uh, yes, I sleep a lot. I need a lot of sleep, but you know, I work hard. Um, I don't even think I work hard, but people told me I work hard. Uh, it's just what I do. And, uh, it's very interesting perspective. Like to me, that's just a reality to other people is that you work hard. I'm like, I don't feel <laughs> I, I work hard. Uh, but working smart is the one thing that I am, uh, I, I have learned. Uh, since college, uh, because I think the most successful people work hard and, uh, and smart. Um, so, so there's that. And would you say that was inspired or instilled on you by, by your parents seeing them work 364 days a, a year? I mean, running a restaurant and any restaurant in the world is, is like, it's very demanding, you know, seeing them work day and night. I mean, you probably replicated that and emulated them and thought that was kind of normal and, and, you know, followed. Yeah. 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 They work a little bit too blindly hard. Yeah. Mm. Mm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's normal. And and about your, you know, where your business is at today. Where are you guys in terms terms of size? And have you guys raised any any capital on this, or has this been completely bootstrapped with your own capital? Yeah, great question. We uh we just raised a C ramp, our first safe ramp, um, and it was wildly successful. Um, we raised the money in like four business days. Um, so that's really really good. Um, it's like uh, three point five million dollar ish. And so, um, it is funny because I, that's my whole, you know, experience in the last three years, which is raising money for real estate syndication and now raising money for the startup. And because we had a good track record in the real estate business, uh, we had no problem raising money for the startup and people use our software to subscribe to, uh, our previous deals. Hmm. So, uh, actually going back to your previous question, which is, uh, without marketing, how they would become successful. So the first year, no business, no customer and whatnot. The next six months, everything start going in hockey stick. Uh, it started off with us using our software to subscribe, 
uh, to for the investors to invest in our own deal. And when they did that, they were like, this is easier than what we did before. And once we were successful, all the other sponsors, they are kind of like my friends in the same mentorship program, uh, all start adopting our software. Uh, so in this community, uh, every the mindset is everyone is looking at everyone else to take the first move. They are very risk averse. They are not technologically uh, early adopters. They are not. But once they find out that something works, everyone jump on. <laughs> so funny. it went from, we are the first customer, sure. And then within a month, like, like people start using it and it's B2B. So the revenue margins are pretty high. So we're growing like 80% week over week at some point, And then now it's like uh, 80% month over month. Wow. So it's been a, a very, very cool ride. Um, and, you know, so this is like a lot of emotional roller coaster in the SaaS business. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, you you yeah, passed the pit, yeah. the pit of death and now you're kind of r- r- riding it up, right? The fun part. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. yeah, yeah. Well, congrats, yeah. congrats on yeah. that. Mm-hmm. Um, what, what, kind of what was your vision? You know, you first built this. Um, would mm-hmm. you say it's been changed over time? And do you have a an exit plan with this? What's the What's the end goal? Yeah. So we raised money and uh, the, our plan is to get to a million dollars AR. Um, and we are, you know, we already have a six figure AR. So a million dollars is not short away. So, um, yeah, uh, we hope to do that, um, hopefully soon. Um, and, uh, after that, um, either we do a series A, uh, or we continue to, um, uh, it depends on how well the business is doing. So mm-hmm. I want to keep the options open. And the good mm-hmm. news is that investors are okay with, uh, with either option, you know, nice. uh, they're okay with a medium profitable business, uh, or they're okay with like going big or go home. Um, but I think I will have more data in a few months. Um, but right now every month is just, you know, record highs, uh, revenue record high sales. So, um, as a result, there's a lot of scaling that we need to do as well. Not from an engineering perspective. The good news is because I was so focused on engineering and product, when our business scale, there was no migration that we need to do in the backend. We did not need to change databases. We need to not need to change our schema. Uh, we did not need to change our data model or APIs. Everything just scales. Yeah, I told awesome. the wrong path by taking forever <laughs> to build the product, but it, it just works. And then it was all well worth it, right? You thought well, you over-engineered it, but then now you go out there, you run smooth like a, it's, like a Tesla. <laughs> I don't know. This is like all the SaaS advice is just... One shoes, one size doesn't fit all. I yeah. really believe that now. Sure, yeah. Okay, cool. Well, congrats on the success. I'm, I'm, I'm super, you know, happy to see you guys are doing so well. So keep, keep it up, and uh, that's that's nice. They have those investors as well who support your your decision and not forcing you to take one path or the other. Mm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Perry, kind of a couple of questions here. We'll go on the the rapid fire before we wrap this up. This has been it's been fantastic. Um, what's one piece of advice you wish you had known, and going back would tell your 25 year old self? 25 year old self. Quitting your job is not that scary. I listened to a lot of podcasts and I heard this really good quote is of all sad things, tongue and pen, the saddest are these, what could have been. Um, yeah. So mm-hmm. I was really scared about quitting my job. Um, not that I quit, 
it's it's almost like a freedom. <laughs> That's what everybody says. Everybody I know who goes down it, like it takes them like months and months just to get it's a mental game more than anything, right? And it's not even about you know, the money they have or what they save or what they think they can do, but you know, they have the runway, but you know, it's just making that step is it's a huge leap, right? But once they do, yeah, most yeah. of them are like no looking back, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. And um and I, I part of me is I'm glad that's a fair because mm-hmm. otherwise there will be too many entrepreneurs and there will not be enough, you know, employees. That's, that's true. <laughs> keep keep those people working. Let them let us care about it. <laughs> nice. What what are some of the biggest challenges you're currently facing um with, with cash flow portal? Maybe you know what, what keeps you up at night these days if you're not getting 10 hours of sleep? Yeah, yeah. So the biggest fear is how can we provide the same level of customer service to a growing number of customers? The second one is how can we keep the site stable? Now, my, my bar is super high, like 99.99% uptime, right? The two nice, uh, not three nice, but two nice. Um, so, um, it, so far we've been doing really well, but how can we keep it up with, with, uh, with constant innovation and, uh, deployment? Uh, the next one is it's a very, uh, there's a lot of competitors. Um, there are people who have been there for a long time and we are the newest entrant entry to this space. So how can we convince the other customers that we are better? Um, and how do we innovate on behalf of the users? Um, so it's still very early. Uh, I don't think by no means am I succeeding. Uh, I think we're just starting to see a positive growth and, you know, compared to the competitors and what we want to be, we're still very far away. So, um, it's still very, very much day one. Yeah. Nice. I love that mindset. Always day one. Um, who or what are some of the best three resources? These can be, you know, books, mentors, or people you follow in the space who you'd say have been the most instrumental to your success over these last few years. Yeah. Um, one person I really, you know, want to, think professionally was, um, my previous director at Lyft. Uh, he was a key principal. So one of the people on the loan, uh, for my multifamily acquisition, uh, two or three years ago, at that time, we have not done any multifamily syndication. So he was really taking a chance with us. Um, and he just readily said yes, uh, because he knew I was a high performer, um, at Lyft. So, and that journey ended up penning well, really, really well. You know, the investors made like 70% return in two years, even though we projected like 10 to 15% annualized return, but they make like 33% return like every year so far. Um, so, but because we have a ton of tailwinds from real estate, right? So I don't think those are replicable going forward. Uh, so I appreciate the people who believe in me, uh, and they show it through their money and their actions. Uh, since the very beginning. And, you know, when we have this race, um, I always reserve spots for those people. Right? They could take all their time they want. Like, yeah, they're busy. Uh, you can fill in the paperwork two weeks later. But if, if, if I just, you know, um, got to know you recently, yeah, you better fill in the paperwork now. Otherwise <laughs> the, the spots are, are gone. Yeah. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. That's huge. I mean, that's, that's nice. Once you have that one person who believes in you and gives you that chance and opportunity, um, that can set your trajectory in a lot of ways. Right. So it's nice that you found yeah. that and can you attribute to them. Um, Perry kind of last question here, you know, you, you've had success in your, you know, corporate career, uh, you know, on, on real estate and now in SaaS, but how do you define success today? What does it mean to you? Whether that's personally business, financially life, 
no right answer. How do you measure it on a day-to-day basis? Um, yesterday, I said that was a successful day uh, because yesterday, I, for example, I interviewed someone who was a high school student who did extremely well on one of the uh, coding challenges and coding interviews. And we had a case study and he is just extremely articulate. And I have probably like eight or nine meetings yesterday. And that was the only meeting that I remember. I thought was a successful day because I got to meet such amazing talent. Um, You know, the other successful day could just be, I always remember the one or two things that I was like, yeah, that was really, really cool. Uh, The other one was I was visiting Boston uh, uh, to meet some angel investors. And I intentionally stopped by the MIT campus just so to leave my business card so I can recruit from there. Um, and I met this one uh, person and we exchanged cards. And then later on, he showed, he was a PhD student um, that is not looking to graduate anytime soon, right? But we just chatted. And then a few weeks later, he showed up in the career fair. And the only reason he came to the career fair is that he knew that he and I just met like three weeks ago. Like, and fair enough, uh, he is quitting the PhD, you know, second year into it. Uh, by no means am I saying we'll get him as a software engineer, but it's just one of those things that, uh, I said, wow, that was a, you know, I hustle, I grind by showing up on the campus. And, you know, it's just one way to say, okay, um, I did what I needed to do. I, sh- it's those things actually don't have much results. It by gave me the psychological boost that I can grind and I can just make it work. So on a day to day, it may not be, uh, I think I define the day uh, in terms of generalization is what kind of relationships I made that I felt like, wow, that was a really cool, uh, it's a person I respected or it's a, it's a talent that I have never seen. Uh, it's someone that I feel like, wow, will be a good addition to the team. It's usually about relationships, like what kind of relationships uh, improve. And the second thing in which I felt it was a successful day, it could be there's something that are important but not urgent, but I told the initiative to start the train. Um, that, that made me feel good. Wow. Love it. Fantastic answer. So action showing up uh, and seeing the results in terms of the relationships that come out of it. That's, yeah, yeah. This, this, this has been great, Perry. Love, love, the, love this chatting with you. Um, yeah. where, where can founders get in touch with you, learn more about you and your startup or if they just want to say hi? Yeah. Um, now that I am founder, um, I've been a founder, but still a very interesting title. Um, I would love to get to know other entrepreneurs. Um, other entrepreneurs know this is a very lonely business. Um, a lot of the thoughts are with yourself. Um, and I'm sure that all of us are struggling with the same things. So I will start attending some of these entrepreneurship conferences and just, you know, virtually or physically, I would love to meet people in person. Um, uh, they can get in touch with me by going to perry at cashflowportal.com. And if there are entrepreneurs who are interested in learning about real estate, uh, specifically residential multifamily, uh, they can go to techies in real estate. It's a Facebook group. It's a private group and they can join that as well. Sweet. Thank you for, thank you for sharing that. We'll add it to the, the show notes. Thank you so much, Barry. This has been great and uh, best of luck with Cashflow Portal. Thank you so much, Akil, for having me. Cheers. Thank you all for watching this episode and joining SAS District today. Don't forget to like, subscribe, and hit the bell for future episodes. 
where we interview top leaders in the SaaS industry. If you're a SaaS company looking to grow and unlock the true value of your business, get in touch with us at Horizon Capital and myself or one of our consultants will provide a free assessment to help you get there and hit your goals. If you have any feedback or suggestions for this podcast, please comment down below and help us improve our content for you all. Thanks again and see you on the next one.